Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. So, have you ever heard weird sounds that you can't place? Those of you on the Crest and Rap Patrol page, probably. Those are the sounds you, you can place. You just don't want them. Well, I got a little test for you. So, I want you to just, we're not going to show this to you, just going to play it. And now, if you've already, if you already know what it is, don't ruin it for the other people. But those of you who never heard the sound before, okay, I want you to listen and try to guess what it is. Go ahead, uh, Cameron. Okay, stop. Asteroids, video game, yeah, something science fiction. How many of you thought that? It's like light phasers or something. All right, all right. Okay, listen, t- pump up the volume a bit more. Not that much more. Let's play it one more time. Okay, stop it. Is there any guesses? Can anyone place this sound? Dolphins, okay. So why would you say dolphins? Because it sounds like one. Thanks, Adrian. It's not a dolphin. It's not a dolphin. Okay. Pull, uh, Cameron will pull it onto the screen and let, let us watch it for a moment here. Just see if you guessed what it was. There we go. Play it a little longer. This guy loves his baby alligators. Listen to him what? talk. Hi. Mary, you knew that was? You knew? Climb all over me. Yeah, yeah. Look at them. Who wants to take one of those home? Yeah, okay. You can shut it down. Yeah. I had the experience these last couple of weeks. One of my sons walked over to me and said, Dad, guess what this is? And I couldn't. I couldn't guess what it was. But So, Mary, you win the prize. Weird sounds need a greater context, right? To make sense of them, we've got to have a story to place them in. We've got to have some sort of connection because there's lots of sounds that just don't make any sense if we don't know where they're coming from, right? Like, for example, the sounds that the Jesus followers were making in the first day of Pentecost. How do you like that for a transition segue? Let's do a quick catch-up where we're at. We're going through the book of Acts, which if you're less familiar with the, the, the kind of the whole story, it's the, it's the story, it's the fifth book of the New Testament, and it tells the early story of how the church got going, basically, and how they uh, you know, started to figure out um, how to get the word of Jesus out there and, and, and witness about Jesus and his resurrection. And we've been reading this book of Acts, we just started a few weeks ago, to, to really have God renew in us his vision for us. Like, as a church, what are we all about? What should we be focusing on? Kind of, who are we? And we're letting this early history of the church shape and renew and challenge us. That's what we're doing. Remember how we can read the story of Acts? We can read this history through the lens of promise and fulfillment. Promise and fulfillment. So in Acts chapter 1, right after Jesus rose from the dead, but before he ascended to the right hand of the Father, there's these, these days in here, like weeks worth of days. And during that time, Jesus made a promise to his followers. He said, after the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to receive power and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, the surrounding areas, and then to the ends of the earth. That's the promise that Jesus made. And then, in the opening of chapter 2, which we just started last week, the the promise is fulfilled. Or at least, it's fulfilled and then it continues to be fulfilled because we can read all the rest of Acts as the Holy Spirit continuing to fulfill this first promise that Jesus gave to them. The Holy Spirit comes, the Jesus followers receive power, and they're instantly propelled into witness. 
And uh, we started to unpack that last week, particularly how the Holy Spirit comes in and makes this small group of people into a worshiping, witnessing community. But here's the thing. The Spirit's coming with the sound of violent wind, with what seemed to be fire falling all over the place, with these sudden bursts of all kinds of different languages that they hadn't known before. The meaning of that event, the meaning of this powerful incoming of the Holy Spirit, wasn't self-evident to those who were still on the outside looking in. It wasn't obvious to them. What God was doing required explanation. It required some kind of interpretation, some kind of larger story to make sense of what was happening. In particular, the sounds. And that's where we get today. What we hear today is Peter getting up, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, he begins to put what God is doing into the largest story. He explains how God's actions here, the Holy Spirit coming here, fits into the larger story of Jesus, in particular, his resurrection and his exaltation. His resurrection from the dead, and now his exaltation to the right hand of the Father as the King of the world. And what we're going to see here, right here, uh, in this uh, Acts chapter 2, is a, a pattern that gets repeated again and again as the witnessing church spreads. God acts, people wonder at it, and then the church witnesses to it. They, they, they point the people to Jesus. Now, sometimes the action of God is a miracle or it's some, some healing or a powerful encounter, but it also can just be Christians showing up and saying, do you know what God did in Jesus? Do, have you heard that, that a guy rose again from the dead? Like, not just fake, but like real thing. Have you heard this? So whether that was what was happening, there's a, some kind of God's action taking place, and then the church comes in to explain uh, what has happened. And, and, and there's wonder, there's interest, there's scorn, there's ridicule, there's lots of responses, but the church gives explanation. Well, that explanation, giving the explanation, putting God's action into the story of Jesus, that's actually what it means to be the witnesses that Jesus said we would be. And what we see over and over again is that when the watching world wonders, we witness. Over and over again, that's what happens. When the watching world wonders, we witness. So let's see how this works on the first day, the day of Pentecost. Remember where we left off last week? If you've been traveling with us, you know, but I want to recap it a little bit. If you missed it, it is online um, at ericksoncovenant.ca or even on iTunes. You can look that up and catch up. I did go into quite a bit more detail, of course, last week on the first part of the story. But last week, the Holy Spirit has come into this little band of Jesus followers, about 120 men, women, children, kids, uh, people who are from low income, people from higher income. There's, there's, there's people from all walks of life. And it's a powerful, undeniable event. The Holy Spirit's like the house guest everyone knows has arrived. Because he's at the door with an armload of gifts and he's just handing them out to everybody and he's loud. You know, that's the Holy Spirit as he's come into the house. And we talked about what that means, how everyone is caught up, as it were, into the Holy Spirit's love for the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit just catches them up into that and so that everyone's praising God. But they're praising God in a way that they've never praised God before. They're using languages that they themselves had never learned. And I realize that's weird. Can we all acknowledge that? If you're kind of new to the church especially, like, that is strange business. That requires an explanation. You know what I'm saying? Some of us have heard it for a long time and we think, oh yeah, well yeah, I've spoken different languages. No, no, it's weird. And so the people around are like, what is going on? Devout Jews, as it turns out, who come into Jerusalem from all over to celebrate the festival of Pentecost, they start hearing sounds that don't, don't make sense. Well, actually, here's the odd thing. They hear things they understand, they just don't understand why they're understanding it. You know what I'm saying? Like they're from some tiny little valley, way thousands of miles away, and they finally made a pilgrimage. Maybe the only time in their lives they've been to Jerusalem. They finally make a pilgrimage, and then they hear, they hear the, the voice of that only like a few hundred people speak some tribal language. They hear it, and, like it doesn't make sense, because then they say, I can't believe it, that's Cappadocian. That's like from my village. And the guy beside them says, no, it's not, it's Cretan. I can hear them. And then I go, you're all wrong. They're speaking Arabic, right? And so everyone's hearing it in their own languages, and they can't make sense of it because even though they can hear it, they 
can't figure out why they're hearing it. They're so far from home, and here they are hearing God's praise in their own mother tongue. Where do you put that kind of experience? How do you make sense of it? They couldn't. And in verse 12 of chapter 2, it says, Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, What does this mean? Because they, they don't know. And the others think, well, I know what it means. Whew, these guys have been, well, taking something. They've had too much wine. And that's because God's actions require explanation. God initiates the wonder of the people, but now it requires the witness of the church to fill in the gaps. Without the witnessing church, the wondering world just remains clueless to what God has done through Jesus the Messiah. Without explanation, the people on Pentecost would have eventually just drifted away and said, man, does Pentecost ever bring out the weirdos, you know? That would have been their conclusion. They would have just wandered off, never knowing what God had actually done for them in Christ on a hill just a few, you know, yards away called Golgotha. They never would have heard that if someone hadn't provided the explanation. So remember, remember, when the watching world wonders, we witness. Because without witness, the wondering world just simply wanders off. You can write that down if you want. There's a lot of W's in there. I liked it. (laughs) When the watching world wonders, we witness. But without witness, the wondering world just wanders off. What does it mean? Who knows? So how do we witness to Jesus? How do we explain to others what God has actually done in a way that would inspire people to begin following Jesus? Or at least to, to say, well, I want to hear more. Like, how do I discover more about this event you're talking about, what God has done? Well, today we hear one of the first of many speeches in the book of Acts. There's a lot of talking in Acts as people, as witnesses, try to explain what God has done. And each one of those speeches we find in Acts are designed to help people find and follow Jesus, help people make sense of him so they can make a choice about him. So let's just walk through this story, uh, the speech, really, of Peter in, in Acts. It starts in chapter 2, verse 14 through to 42. And this is one of these rare moments where I get to preach on somebody else's sermon. Yeah. Well, here it is. So they're wondering, what does this mean? Others are saying they're drunk. And so Peter stands up with the 11, with the other 11. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And then the first thing he does is kind of deal with the elephant in the room. These people are not drunk. As you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. They haven't had breakfast yet. They haven't started drinking. So he first deals with the misunderstanding, right? Let's clear that up. And now we'll get to, so this is what it's not, and now I'm going to tell you what it is. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he reaches back into the Jewish story and pulls this amazing prophetic word from Joel about the Spirit coming. This is what he says. This is, and he's referring, remember, to the, 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 the speech that's going on, the, the wind and the, and the fire, but particularly them hearing the languages. This is what he's referring to. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons... And daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Notice how inclusive this is. How it's covering over everyone. It's not excluding anyone. Young, old, men, women, servant. It's, 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 everybody gets it. And remember we talked about last week how this was not true prior to this. The Holy Spirit would come on certain individuals usually for a certain job. Men and women at times, but mostly men. And there's usually people in positions of authority, although there were times when it was a humble shepherd, as it were, being called into prophecy. But there was always a specific job. But the promise was that the Spirit would come and it would just indiscriminately fill anybody who's willing to receive. Beautiful. Then he says, 
Still quoting Joel. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Can I just clear something up here? This is metaphoric language being used by the prophets to indicate something earth-shattering has happened. So Peter is quite willing to say this is being fulfilled by this group of 120 people who are speaking a language that you understand but can't place. But what happens is he's trying to say, look, something earth-shattering has happened. Something incredible. Something that literally, you know, it's like the moon turning to blood. The, the stars falling. Because God has done something that has forever changed history. Has forever changed destiny. And this is how the prophet Joel puts it. And then at the very end, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, what Peter's doing here at the start is he's simply saying this. I'm going to tell you what the tongues mean. I'm going to tell you what the languages mean. It's the Holy Spirit who has come in fulfillment of the prophecy that Joel gave. Joel gave this prophecy saying, in the last days, my spirit's going to come on everybody and it's going to be crazy because the world has changed. So he first deals with the tongues question, but then he goes on. He says, this is what happened. Then he says, people of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him up from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, Listen to this. Because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, at that point, you think, how, how, is it impossible for, how is it impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus? He says, oh, just wait. And he reaches back to another prophetic work. This time, the Psalms. He says, David, King David, but also in this case, Prophet David. David said about him, and then he quotes from Psalm 16. He says, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the grave. You will not let your Holy One see decay. Those are the two lines that are really, really important here. You have made known to me the paths of life. You have filled me with joy in your presence. Peter goes on to explain this. He says, Brothers and sisters, we all know that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. You can go and check it out. Apparently you could back then. We know he's dead and gone. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the grave nor did his body see decay. See what he's doing? He's he's backing up his claim by appealing to this psalm in this particular case. Then he says, God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of this fact. You can see him sort of sweeping his arms and saying, look, we're all witnesses of this fact. Hundreds and hundreds of people saw Jesus alive, resurrected with the body. We're all witnesses to this. Exalted to the right hand of the Father, the right hand of God, He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So he moved from resurrection to ascension to now explain again how it is that the Holy Spirit has come. He says, for David, David did not ascend to heaven. And yet he said, and now he quotes the most oft-quoted psalm in all the New Testament, Psalm 110, all over the place. Jesus referred to himself by it. Others did. Very common. So he, he, he's going to go here. He's getting to the whole thing. Where's the Holy Spirit come from again? For David did not ascend to heaven. And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord. That sounds confusing in English. But one Lord in here is Yahweh, like Lord. And the other Lord is like my Lord. This is David referring to himself. But this is prophetic. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, that somehow has real authority to them. It really tags them. But you and I, we sit here and go, okay. What does that mean? You know, but this is what David's doing. 
He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That's his clincher. The Jesus that, first of all, well, he explains the Spirit coming in in, in response to the, the prophecy. Then he says, this Jesus, he's the one that David told us about. He was raised to life. But more than just raised to life, he was exalted to the right hand of the Father, and the Holy Spirit, you see, is a gift from him. He's the boss now. By the way, you killed him. But God didn't let him stay dead, rose him again. Now he's exalted to the right hand of the Father. And then the clincher line, be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And they are deeply troubled by this information. Wouldn't you be? Now they, they get it. They, they follow his argument. They buy it. They, they, they can see what has happened. They are wondering now what they're supposed to do. And so they say, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They weren't arguing the points. They were buying in. They knew it. What do we do? And so Peter says, Peter replies, repent, turn around, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Which is what this got, you know, how it all got sparked in the first place, right? You'll receive this gift. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll receive forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit if you turn around and you're baptized in the name of Jesus, the one that you crucified which is kind of a humbling thing. The promise, Peter concludes with, is for you and your, your children and for all who are far off, which includes us, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then Luke summarizes, he says, with many other words. In other words, he didn't just preach a three minute sermon though it was pretty densely packed, I'll add. But with many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves, or let Jesus save you, let, let the Messiah rescue you from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to the number that day. That was a really effective sermon, don't you think? <laughs> the Holy Spirit really used the words of Peter that day. Uh, about 3,000 were after their number. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone is filled with awe at the many wonders and miraculous signs that were done by the apostles. Now, we'll get onto some of what, how, what shapes that community in, uh, in the following weeks, but, but we'll end that there for now. So, whew, that's quite a packed sermon, don't you think? Now, I tried to make a little sense of it as we're going through it, because there is so much in there, folks, like... We could literally spend another 10 hours just on what Peter talked about. So are there any pancakes left? We can just start passing them out for those of you. All right. So what I want to do today, though, is talk about how Peter's explanation shapes our witness to Jesus, how we explain to others about what God has done in Christ. And I want to draw your attention to how the Holy Spirit really worked with Peter, what he knew, what he had experienced, but this wonderful work of the Spirit to help him then make sense of what God was doing to these other devout Jews that were in front of him. So really quickly, this is how Peter, this is how the story or the sermon, as it were, is structured. And I want to unpack this a little bit for us. So first, Peter hears their questions, right? Particularly, he hears the conclusion that they're drunk, but also the question, what does this mean? He hears it, and he responds to it. He's going to point them to the risen, exalted Jesus, who's alive and is active by the Holy Spirit. What's happening around us is because of Jesus. And he tells the whole story of him, but it's all about pointing everyone to Jesus. You want to know what this means This means the Jesus that you crucified didn't stay dead. God exalted the right hand of the Father, is the king of the world, and has poured this out. He's the reason for this. That's that's what Jesus, that's what Peter's trying to make sense. So he hears their question and then goes on to explain it. Second, Peter appeals to their shared Jewish uh, sources of authority, as it were. In their case, he uh, relies on three primary sources. Uh, Joel the prophet, and then two times from David, Psalm 16 and Psalm 
110. And he, and he does it very, if you, if you just work through the, the sermon, it's very tied. He's using these sources of authority to back up what's happening around them, to make sense. And they, because they share that source of authority, they share the same worldview, the same thoughts, um, it makes sense to them. Which is why we consider today and think, okay, I'm not sure I find that as convincing as they did. But part of that reason would be we don't share the same worldview. We don't have the same sense of authority. These are devout Jews. So when he appeals to God's word, they're like, okay, we, we, we see it. We get it. Appeals to the same shared sources of authority. Third, Peter appeals to their own personal experience of actually seeing Jesus heal people, drive out demons, teach, or at least hear about it. I mean, if they didn't see it, they had heard about it. It was something that was known in that community because he's able to say, uh, you know, as you yourselves know. And it didn't seem to be disputable. People were aware of Jesus and his reputation, if not firsthand, then, then at the larger crowd. So then also Peter appeals to the disciples' own legitimacy as eyewitnesses. And we talked about that in chapter 1, some of the ways that they needed to make sure their witness was credible, particularly replacing Judas. But he's able to say, look, God raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses. It's like, come and talk to any one of us. We'll tell you the story about how we saw Jesus not once, not twice, lots of times. So we're all witnesses to this fact. He appeals to the credibility, to the legitimacy of, of this, this whole community as eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. And then fifth, in answer to the second question they ask, so first they ask, what does this mean? And then they say, what do we need to do? What do we do? Peter then gives them concrete steps they need to take in response to what they've heard. That is, turn around, repent, like change your life, change your direction, be baptized in the name of Jesus, and then two promises, for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see how that all rolls out? This is how his explanation unfolds. Are you with me so far? If you have it in front of you, you can kind of see how this, this rolls. This is kind of how, how the Holy Spirit, through Peter and Peter's own experiences, shaped his explanation to them of what God had done. But how does that transfer to us? Does it transfer straight over? I mean, maybe the key is you just take this sermon of Peter and just start reading it out at coffee break at work. See how convincing it is. You're welcome to try. But I'm not sure, now I'm not going to limit the Holy Spirit, you know, but I'm not sure it has the same resonance with our crew that it might have then, because Peter's message was spirit-tailored, as it were, to his own people. In that occasion, devout, Bible-believing Jews. Peter shared their language, he shared their worldview, he shared their expectations, their hopes, uh, their messianic thoughts, he, he shared their authorities, their heritage, their story. Now, as the story of Acts unfolds, we're going to see Jesus' followers start witnessing to people that, that they don't have the same shared worldview. They don't have the same sources of authority. And you actually see how they tell the story of Jesus' resurrection begin to shift, what they appeal to. The famous one is in Acts 17, which will be in, you know, sometime in 2024. Kidding. Sometime in the late spring. But we'll see how Paul um, still talks about Jesus and the resurrection and what God has done, but he appeals to different sources of authority. He has a different way about him of sharing the same message. Well, in this case, um, you know, Peter shares all of that with them, and, and, and people are very, very responsive. But what about us? How does, how does his witness shape ours today? Well, let's try to see this. Maybe we'll even workshop this a little bit. I don't know. Oh, no, we won't. We'll just... I'll just plow through and you'll listen, right? Anyone fall asleep yet? So first of all, we need to remember that all witness is really ultimately about pointing people to Jesus. Help people see Jesus clearly, which means there's lots of times where I have to like, oh, that's not actually what Jesus was about. Or, yeah, I know you heard that story, but can I like tell you what I think? I was talking to someone um, you know, a couple weeks ago. I was in a vehicle driving with someone who... Uh, uh, someone that been growing in relationship with it, self-identifies strongly as an atheist, and um, and so we were talking about things, and and so um, <clears throat> you know things were being said about what uh, their understanding of Jesus was, and um, I listened and we talked, and so then we were chatting about it, and I said, so um, can I ask you a question? I said, you know, I know I'm a preacher, and you're probably thinking, oh, now you're going to hear the sermon. That's actually not what I want to do. I just want to ask you, like, 
would you be open to hearing kind of how I see those things? Uh, you know, some of those ideas that you have about Jesus? And um, this person was like, well, yeah, I'd love that, you know. And I said, oh, okay. So then I started talking about, like, I wanted to find out, like, what her sources of authority were so I could, you know, do something with that. And I, the conversation went on from there. But the point is, um, you know, I wanted to help clear away because how can there be any step forward, any concrete response to Jesus if it's, there's profound misunderstandings about him? So witness is about helping people see Jesus clearly so that they can respond to him concretely. Now, it may be, no, I don't want to do with them, but at least they're seeing Jesus clearly when, when they do that. All witness always is about pointing people to Jesus, and that's wonderfully clear, clear through, through Peter's speech. But how does this happen? This is the thing that I'd like to take us back through the story very briefly to see how Peter offers us, in some sense, a pathway. The Holy Spirit uh, offers us this pathway. And five questions emerge. You've already kind of heard them, but I believe they really help us when we think of the question, how do we actually explain what God has done? How do I, how do I tell people or explain what is going on in the story of Jesus? So here it is. First, we ask, What questions are people asking? Now, in the Acts story, uh, it's handed to us. And, 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 you know, it's right in the story. Luke identifies. They say, what does this mean? And, and, And it's pretty clear. God has done this amazing thing. So he responds to that question. But for us now... We sometimes, sometimes people are just asking questions straight out. And, and there's a natural, because of the relationship we have, kind of like my conversation with my friend, that it's there. We're able to talk about it. There's, a, there's trust. And we're able to just kind of jump right in. But there's other times where we, we, we try to, we're trying to figure out, like, what is the question that this person is asking? And so actually, I, I, you know, I think you should think about this. Turn your attention to it. Like, when you think of your family or your friends, or when you think of the people uh, at work or at school, you ask, what kind of questions are actually motivating them? Like, what, what's the question that they're trying to answer? Either they're, they're able to put their finger right on it, or it's coming out of them in, in various ways. Maybe not articulate all the time, but there's a question that they're asking. question about... Uh, the meaning of their lives. How do they make sense of it? How do they make friends? Uh, how, how do they get out of the dead-end life they feel they're in? Or, 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 or maybe it's you know, something particular that they're, they're exploring. Can we hear that question? Can we even ask the Holy Spirit to help us hear that question? Sometimes people are asking questions directly in response to something that they would identify as as spiritual or or that God was doing something that even even some kind of a miracle or coincidence they're attributing to the universe or or to God or, or something like that. Um, it can be some sort of choice they've made or some help they've received and they're they're asking questions about something like that. Other times, people are asking questions because of experiences they've had that are quite difficult. I mean, I think we can all, uh, you know, say that lots of times questions come out of a place of pain and struggle, right? The people have had something deeply tragic happen in their lives, and they're trying to make sense of that. Suffering and pain is, is, is hard. And, and as a result, people are sometimes brought to their knees or, or, or to a place of desolation because they're trying to figure out what does this mean. And so our, our encouragement here isn't, isn't just to jump right on that. Oh, let me tell you what it means. But rather to listen to that question, to, to lean into it, to, to hear people tell their story, to, 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 to get alongside people and try to figure out, like, what are the questions that they're asking that are aimed at making sense of their lives? And then, I believe, as the Holy Spirit leads us, to be able to then share how the story of Jesus has helped us answer that question or how it might lead them toward some sense of peace or some sense of coherence as they wrestle with their questions. But asking the question, figuring out what is the question, is an essential first step. Number two, what authorities do people accept? Now, in Acts, as I've already said, 
clearly there were shared senses of authority. These devout Jews who gathered, they all believed that God had given his word through Moses in particular, and then through David, and through the prophets, and there was a great shared sense of authority, so that Peter could simply say, well, here it is, folks, right there, right there, right there. And they all go, oh, wow, you're right. Now, I don't think that works that way today. For some people it might, if they have some background or some general, but in, you know, really, when you step back, you realize that today it's going to be different. People aren't just accepting of the authority of scripture, for example, or that the story of Jesus is reliable. And so we're going to find a lot of times in our conversations, we're going to have to back up quite a bit and begin to explain gently, I believe, but explain why it is that, that we accept the authority of, of the story of Jesus or the resurrection accounts, for example. We have to spend more time maybe dispelling some of the myths. I mean, a very common one that I ran into, I ran into it the other day, was the idea that the Bible has just been, just been terribly mistranslated and altered and changed kind of in every hand it went through. And the reality is, that's just not true. It's not historically true. Even secular, atheistic, biblical scholars, they do exist, by the way, um, even, even they know that's not true. So there's lots of myth out there about, about the trustworthiness of the Bible that we can, in relationship, be able to say, well, actually, can I just tell you what I discovered? And we can dispel some of those so that we can at least get to a point where the Bible could be seen as a, you know, trustworthy historically, and then we can, we can go from there. But perhaps that's not even where we start. Perhaps the, we have to try to dig in and find out, like, what are the authorities that people accept long before we even talk about the Bible? And this might be a question that you would need to think, because people accept different authorities. But, but there's some people among us who would say, well, I really accept the authority of science. If it's a scientist that said it and they can back it up, peer-reviewed journal, blah, 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 PhD this, whatever, I'm going to generally trust them. Others, that's not true. Some people, they really trust history. Uh, some people really trust Oprah. I'm not even being facetious when I say that. Some people really trust a certain voice or a certain person uh, or a certain school of thought or whatever, and they really trust that. Like that, that really has authority in their lives. And they might not put it that way, but basically they'll say, well, but, 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 and they'll refer to somebody. Or they're full of some school of thought or some website or whatever. And you're trying to understand, like, what is the authority that these people accept? Now, it might not be good, but it might also be something you can work with. But regardless, you want to know what it is. You want to understand, like, what does this, what authority does this person appeal to? What are the authorities that help them make sense of their questions or at least somewhat grapple with it? So what are the sources of authority? The third question is, what experiences do people believe? And, and, and again, this is part of discovering a person's story, finding out that they had a near-death experience. And that through that near-death experience, they, they, they felt some things, learned some things that have profoundly affected the way they see the world. You want to know that. You want to know that. What experiences? Maybe, maybe it was that they, they lost someone that they loved. Maybe it was an accident. Uh, maybe it was a friendship that they had. What experiences? Maybe, maybe it's an experience of, of being out in creation, that every time they're out in creation, they, there's a sense of awe within them that there's something greater. Maybe, maybe it's just the, an aching loneliness, a sense that you know, everything in my life is going right, but I don't feel like, I feel like something's still off. What experiences do people believe and, and do they keep coming back to? You know, in the, in the story of Acts, Peter was able to say, look, you all experienced Jesus. Either you knew about him or you saw him. And they were able to say, yeah, we, we get that. We, we hear that. But for today, as we're getting to know friends, family, we have to ask, what are the experiences they believe in? And sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes people will really believe in a certain experience and you think, that is nuts. That is crazy. I encourage you not to say that out loud. I encourage you to listen and find out what is it about that story? What is it about that experience that really resonates with them, that really helped them, um, helped them feel important or helped them, help them believe there was a reason for the difficulty or helped them make sense of something in their life? Hear what it's indicating and let the Holy Spirit show you how you might either uh, connect with that experience, because uh, you may, uh, or, or at least you may be able to point them to Jesus knowing how important that experience is. Number four, 
similar to authority, but a little different. What eyewitnesses do people trust? Now, in Acts, um, you know, they were able to say, look, you know, come talk to any one of us. We'll tell you the same story. Divide us up. Put us in a room individually with a, you know, with a bulb hanging down. And it's darkly lit and send in your best bad cop, good cop routine. And all of our stories are going to match. Why? Because it's true. And the, the eyewitnesses are trustworthy. And I actually think we've got to get there in our stories to, to actually say the same thing. But, but when you think of your friends, it's similar to authority, but a little different. It's what, what would make sense to you? What, what kind of sources of eyewitness make sense to you? Like, what would it take for you to say, ah, this is believable enough, at least for me, to check it out? And I think, actually, we can ask ourselves the same question. Like, what eyewitness reports do I think are believable? Well, ones that don't change all the time. One where there isn't a clear motivation or, or gain to be made. You know, there's things that line up. And when we identify that in our own lives, Peter identified them in his, when we begin to see and understand what is it that people would trust, what kind of eyewitness report would they trust, it'll help us connect. I think people today, they want rational, solid sources, clear thinking. They want, they want to hear eyewitnesses, you, maybe not specifically an eyewitness, but a witness to the eyewitness. They want people who are humble enough to admit that they're learning but also clear enough to show that they've actually explored this and thought it through, that they can point people to Jesus and, and to what he's done, both personally but also historically, and, and they can sit and go, oh, okay, I can see this person just making this up on the spot. There's somebody here that I could possibly trust. And then the fifth thing is what steps can people take? Now, again, in the original story of Acts here, they ask, what can we do? And that question is not always surfaced quite that easily, quite that obviously. Peter's response is turn around and get into Jesus, right? Turn around and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit, man. Before you know it, you'll be, well, you'll be witnesses like us. Well, for us today... Sometimes it can be exactly that. A person comes to a point in their lives where they're saying, okay, I've, I've, I've explored who Jesus is. I've heard the claims. And I, there's something within me that says, like, what do I do now? And we can really, you know, say the same thing. Well, actually, we've got to turn our lives to Jesus and be baptized in faith to follow him and, 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 and come and grow and, and, and receive forgiveness, receive the Spirit, God present in your life and walking with you in a community, in the church and learning and, so we can get on with some of the concrete steps. But maybe they aren't there yet. Like maybe they're just saying, well, what should I do? And maybe it's like, well, actually, you pray the Holy Spirit gives you the insight for this. You think, well, so me the other day, I'm, I'm with this um, a friend of mine and... Uh, so I'm thinking, she, she named for me her sources of authority. Um, she named for me the things that were important to her. And so I thought, I said, I have a book. Would you be willing to, do you read? Yes. Would you be willing to read a book by a guy who was the head of the Human Genome Project and came to faith in Jesus? Like, so he's a real science guy, you know. And the response is, I'd love to read that. So there I'm thinking, okay. I know the power of this story because here's a guy giving his testimony of how he's come to faith in Jesus, but his science credentials are impeccable. Here's an example. I hope the Holy Spirit will use his story to begin to help that step be taken toward Jesus. So letting the Holy Spirit help you figure out in conversation what would a next step look like? What would a concrete step be toward Jesus? In the days of Peter, people were, as it were, these devout Jews, they were right on the cusp, right? All they, had, all they needed was the Holy Spirit through Peter to say, this, this, and this, this is what you did. And they say, what do we do? And you say, well, you come to Jesus. And they did. Because in that sense, there was so much shared story. But today, as we're engaging with people far, far, far away from Jesus, with no spiritual background, with no connection, with lots of misunderstanding, and, and you, you want to say what the next step is, it's probably not going to be, you repent and be baptized. It's probably going to be, do you want to go for coffee and talk about it? You know, the next step is going to be way back the line, probably, for most people. You want to figure out where they're at and say, what would the next step be? Well, would you read a book? Oh, I'll read a book, sure. Would you like to talk about it? Well, I'll talk about it. Hey, uh, there's a group of us that meet at this thing called Alpha. Want to come? Oh, sure. 
there's good food. Yeah, I'll come again. You know. So what's the next step, right? And and you want to ask, ask the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit reveal you what's the next step this person could take. What what would they be interested in taking? Probably the most important one is to stay connected with you, stay connected with someone who will help them begin to explore gently, sensitively to the story of Jesus. So these five questions, I think, form the guts of our witness, okay? It's the stuff the Holy Spirit uses to help us help others see Jesus clearly and respond to him concretely. The Holy Spirit helps Peter based on what he intuitively knows, uh, based on his own shared experiences to help people take Jesus seriously. And I think the Holy Spirit will help us too because most of the people that we're witnessing to, we have a lot of shared commonality. Like we're probably speaking English. Ding. Hey, there you go. That's helpful. Uh, you know, it's probably a lot, of, a lot more shared worldview than, frankly, you might even be aware of. There's a lot of shared understanding, a lot of shared hopes. The Holy Spirit can use that. But here's the thing. Peter's witness didn't just come out of a vacuum. It's not like the Holy Spirit just miraculously zapped Peter and he was like, suddenly, a Bible genius. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't quite work that way. Peter actually knew the Old Testament Scriptures really well. Now, the Holy Spirit was able to take that and make sense of it in a way that Peter had never been able to make sense of it before. Because you remember, Peter, if you read through the gospel stories of Jesus, Peter's the guy who's always screwing it up, right? He's always the guy missing the boat, not getting what's going on. But there was still, uh, there was still an experience there, not only of knowing the whole story and knowing the scripture, growing up with that, but also the years that he'd walked and talked and listened and taught and been taught by Jesus himself. And after the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit was able to take all of that. And Peter was able to powerfully witness helping people follow Jesus. So how does it come together for us? Here's our invitation. First, we do need to let the Holy Spirit immerse us in the story of Jesus. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. We need to be people who really have deeply drunk of the story of Jesus. Like, we are in it. We kind of think, talk, breathe what Jesus is doing in a certain chapter. I know it sounds weird, but like, we see things through the lens of a certain parable. Or we see things and we think, oh, yes, the time that that woman came to Jesus. Or we start to see the world through the gospel story. And here's why. When we have been immersed in the story of Jesus, the Holy Spirit's able to take that story and we're able to see the world around us through it. We're able to begin to talk about who Jesus is in connection to the conversations we're having, not in weird ways, but in ways that the very story of Jesus is the way that we're seeing the world. And here's the challenge for us. Most of us who are followers of Jesus, the primary story we see the world through is not the Gospels. It's the 24-hour news cycle. It is. Or it's our our own self-imposed narrative of what we're pursuing in our career. Or it's it's consumerism. Or it's, it's some particular ideology. Whatever. But unfortunately, what happens is the story of Jesus kind of gets tacked on the side. And then unfortunately, we begin to see the story of Jesus through the lens of the 24-hour news cycle or the consumerism or whatever thing that dominates our heart and mind. And the story of Jesus actually needs to become our first story through which we then view the 24-hour news cycle. The election campaign. The voices and stories of our friends and our family. We, we actually filter them through the story. But we can't do that if we don't let the Holy Spirit immerse us in that story. It doesn't happen by just, you know, every once in a while, randomly turning to something and reading a little bit. It happens when we immerse ourselves in the story of Jesus. And so, I think, to be the witnesses that God has called to be, to let the Holy Spirit fulfill in us, the promise that Jesus made, we need to let him immerse us in the story of the Gospels. There's a challenge in here for us. We need Jesus people. I love when you read the story of Peter. Of course, he's pulling from his personal experience, but um, he just is able to say, you know Jesus, right? You know, this is what he was all about. And it's just the story. It's his story. Well, that needs to be our story too. So immerse yourself. Let the Holy Spirit immerse you in the life of Jesus. But simultaneously... Let the Holy Spirit lead us to a deeper understanding of those around us. 
Like as the, the gospel is our filter, the lenses that we put on and we see the world, then let the Holy Spirit begin to identify there's going to be different for different people. But like in this person's life, like what are the questions they're asking? What are the accepted uh, authorities? What are the beliefs, the personal experiences that they really believe in or the, the eyewitnesses? That, like what is actually going on in the hearts and minds and lives? Yeah, broader society, there's sweeping things we can look at, but in particular, friends and family and workmates and schoolmates, what is actually going on? Let the Holy Spirit lead you, maybe using these five questions, to understand more deeply the people that he's called us to bear witness to, to help people just find and follow Jesus, see Jesus clearly and respond to him concretely. Because that's witness, folks. So it means for us to be witnesses. It means for us to simply be able, when there is opportunity, to explain what God has done. And then, let the Holy Spirit add. Let the Holy Spirit call. Let the Holy Spirit help others make that next step in following him. Let me pray, and then we'll head to communion. Holy Spirit, I do pray that you would you would quicken in us... Um, an openness to hear, to see, and respond to what you are doing around us. And in particular, Lord, I pray that as your witnesses, that we would be immersed in your story in such a way that we hear and see and respond to the people around us the way you did, with gentleness, with respect, with grace with winsomeness, but also with, with challenge, with, 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 with important questions, with, with even responses that, that, that surprise people a bit, but as a result, cause them to sit up and pay attention, to ask more questions. Would you inspire us as a community? Would you reshape our vision as a church? We, as a gathered church, as we scatter into our weeks, would you, would you send us ready to explain what you've done in Christ? In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.